Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. Joining me for today's episode to really give a big overview of the Falcons offseason, what they've done, what they've accomplished, where they may go from there. And honestly, who knows where we may go from here because we seem to go everywhere anytime Mike Rothstein uh, joins the show. Mike, man, thank you so much for uh, for coming on once again. Happy to be here, man. Uh, if, you, if people saw, I was playing with my hair already because it's, you know, it, it's getting that time of year in Georgia where if you have hair and it doesn't look like Will's, which is perfectly quaffed. Um, <laughs> this is a wig. With, this is all with an insane amount of product. Uh, you just never know where it's going to end up once you walk outside because of the humidity. So that that's where we're at today. That is very true. As somebody who recently went to a wedding down uh on 30A, so down in, in Florida, very humid, uh, had to deal with a, a wife who recently, you know, just just gave birth, first time getting back out there. Hair was a big, big topic throughout the weekend um, because the humidity is, is a bitch down, <laughs> down here in the South writ large. Um, so we are going to talk a lot about, um, you know, a variety of Falcons topics. I, I beforehand was talking uh, with Mike and, and told him I would say this, but like, I don't have a plan candidly for this show. Uh, usually I'm very meticulous about the planning that I do, but I'm looking forward to really just picking your brain uh, about the major topics this off season, sure. what they've done, what they haven't like. We haven't talked about Clayus Campbell. We haven't talked about uh, really in depth, a lot of the big key signings. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into all of that. But first, Real quick, betonline.ag is your number one source for all the basketball and baseball info, stats, news, and analysis you need. Get the latest odds, news, and info for everything NBA playoffs and MLB regular season this year. BetOnline is your sports information headquarters this season. So if you love sports info, scores, news, and podcasts, you can find everything at BetOnline. They're the fastest and easiest way to get all of your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's really that easy. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Mike, let's, uh, let's start with Clayus Campbell. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't talked about that yet, but I know he spoke on Monday. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought he was pretty candid. Uh, like unusually just in, in a lot of the conversations that he had talked pretty openly about them. Um, what kind of role do you envision him having? Cause I know that was one of the very first things he talked about something you followed up with. He said that cam Jordan role, uh, do, do we buy that? Is he really going to be on the field that much? No, well, listen, he said he, he believes he'll be on the field about 60% of the snaps that tracks with his play usage in the last three years. I wrote about that uh, on for ESPN.com last week that he has largely played 60% or so of snaps and games he's played in over the last three seasons. Before that, it was higher around 70%. So if that's kind of where he sits, then yeah, I believe it. I buy it. I think it's, it's a realistic number. Also, if you really think about it, 
that is a number that would probably mean some sort of first and second down situation and select third down situations, mm-hmm. which to me is how you probably end up using him. Because yeah, as much as you look at him as a pass rusher with 99 career sacks throughout his career, he, he's even more valuable in the tackles for loss area where he's sixth all time since they started tracking that statistic. So to me, I think that's where he's going to bring the most value. Worst case scenario, the worst case scenario is that he has nothing left. And I asked him pretty directly whether or not he, how much he felt he had left. Yep. No, I don't think he was going to say, oh, I don't think I have anything. This is just an easy money. <laughs> I'm no, lost, I wasn't bro. Say that. Like, <laughs> I, as honest as he was, he wasn't going to say that. No, but to me, I think I'll have something left. I, so I covered the last five games of Dwight Freeney's career in Detroit. He signed as a midseason signing after it was cut from Seattle. Most people yep. forget that Dwight Freeney was on the Lions because he reported yeah. zero statistics. Nothing. He didn't have a tackle. He didn't have a penalty. Like, nothing. He had a, he had a zero. <laughs> Next day, if you go look on profootballreference.com, it's O's all across the board for him in Detroit. But he played except for playing in five games. I don't think you'll get that from Calais Campbell. You will get probably what the Ravens have gotten the last couple of years, which is a guy who's going to get you somewhere between five and seven sacks, someone who's going to get you somewhere between 10 and 20 quarterback hits, and someone who's going to get you a handful of tackles for loss. But what he really does is he will help free up Grady Jarrett. Yep. He will help free up edge rusher to be named, whoever that is, whether it's guys on the roster or a guy yet to be on the roster. That is where his value is going to be because you have to account for Calais Campbell because of how good he is. And there are going to be games where he is incredible, but there are going to be games where he's probably not as incredible. And that's okay. Uh, to me, at this point, at 37, which is what it'll be, you're, you're living with that and you're okay with that because you know what you're signing for I didn't think the contract, which was one year, seven, it's technically seven, it's seven million, but there's incentives, yeah, five hundred thousand of which are likely to be earned. So it'll be seven point five million against the cap. At this point in free agency, that's not bad because there's the other part of this, Will. What he brings off the field in terms of leadership, in terms of character, in terms of help building that culture in the locker room will be exactly what the Falcons want. You've heard Arthur Smith and Terry Fondo talk about this so much that if it's a guy they're not familiar with, they have to trust and know his work ethic and his mm-hmm. character. And you don't get much different, much, much higher in that level than Calais camp. Yeah. It's a common thread between a lot of the guys that they brought in this offseason, even Taylor Heineke, right? Like, I mean, that yep. that's a player who reportedly everybody in that locker room loves that dude and will kind of die on a hill for that dude. And so, yeah, I think that when you look at just what the contract is, it's not just about what he's going to do on the field. It's how he's going to help a young defense, you know, young guys that they have invested draft picks in the last two years to kind of make this step in that way. It's a lot like a Dwight Freeney who was, you know, down here in Atlanta and really kind of got a lot of credit with, I think, Vic Beasley's development. Now, I, that's TBD or not no longer TBD at the time. It was kind of after Vic's breakout season. It was like, all right, well, was that real? Maybe it wasn't. 
But Dwight Freeney still is a popular figure down here because of that mentorship role and what he was able to help get out. And I think Clayus Campbell can do something very similar. But I remember you and I talking um, near the end of the season and, and about Lorenzo Carter and specifically kind of what the plan was for him when they initially brought him in. And then the larger role that he had to take on for a variety of different reasons. Do you think, because this is the NFL and because plans go out the window every single day, is Clayus Campbell capable of playing a bigger role if needed? Or do you think like 60 is really where they want to max him out and they're going to really try to keep him there? Well, that's what Clayus Campbell said he believes he can. <laughs> Fair. So it's not even what the Falcons ask for. It's what Calais Campbell believes. Now, to me, Calais Campbell is probably not, probably not going to go to a place where they're going to say, hey, uh, you're playing 90% of the snaps. Right. Because it's just not realistic on any level. And it probably means you're not, you know, that, because that was one of the big things too with what Calais Campbell was talking about was that he has this belief that the Falcons are going to be pretty good this year. So there's the reality of, well, how does he fit into that? And around 60% of the snaps is probably where you're going to, to get him. Because don't forget, you're probably getting Taquan Graham back. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you would hope earlier than later. You have Grady Jarrett. You signed David Omignata. You still have Timmy Horn as a depth guy, kind of maybe to spell those two guys. And then you'll have... Maybe one or two more players that you bring in, whether it's an undrafted free agent, maybe it's a free agent that you sign after the draft. Once things shake out, maybe it's somebody you draft on that defensive line. Arthur Smith wants a deep and versatile defensive front. And that means tackles, linemen, edge rushers. And they're on their way to building that. Mm -hmm. And they're they're basically doing exactly, again, what they've said they were going to do. You know, people are (laughs) like, oh, smoke it. They've been pretty transparent in their plans from the jump. Uh, Like they're they're not they're not playing the smoke and mirrors game that some teams do. Now maybe they end up doing that, and we're talking in a month about Lamar Jackson. But I just don't see that happening. No, but yeah, or like Anthony Richardson or one of the you know yeah, if if they totally go out of left field, right? Right, but I don't I don't necessarily see that unless there's some market change in, in their plan. So uh, what you're looking at now, you got to bring this back to Lorenzo Carter. Uh, I'm actually curious what Lorenzo Carter's role is going to be this yeah. year, because they brought him back at a little bit of a pay raise. Uh, they loved what he did last year, but ideally to me, and I said this uh, when I still had my podcast, I said this in, uh, when I wrote about the free agents, if you're bringing him in in a rotational role, it's perfect. If you're bringing him in to be your number one guy, I have concerns. I mm-hmm. don't think that they believe he'll be the number one guy because I think they're hoping Arnold Abiquete will take that step. Maybe yep. play, player X, whether that's a draft pick or a post-draft signing, ends mm-hmm. up being that guy. But to me, you're probably looking at somebody who will be your number two or number three at that position. And that's perfect for Lorenzo Carter because then that role won't have to be the high level of snaps that he played before. You can play him and put him in a position to succeed, which is really one of the big issues that the Falcons have had defensively over the last two years. They haven't had enough players to be able to put their guys in positions to be successful. You saw that a little bit more on the offensive end, but they didn't have the depth last year or the year before really on offense to do that. 
So you saw expanded roles for certain guys, maybe a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. But now you're starting to see they're building depth and that can only help because listen, that edge rusher group, we there are a lot of question marks in that group. Let's make no mistake about it, Will. Between Lorenzo Carter, Caden Ellis, Arnold Abiquete, D'Angelo Malone, Quentin Bell's back, you know, like, like, mm-hmm. a, like type of thing. Like, so you, there are a lot of question marks there. There's no right. guy that you're sitting there. I am absolutely sure that that guy can be a 10 sack a year guy, nine sack a year. Right. But there's a lot of potential there. And it seems like they're kind of saying, you know, we're going to have all these guys and let's see what happens. It's better than having, you know, one guy and just saying, all right, let's see if, if, um, you mean the Grady Jarrett plan from the last two years? Basically, right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's like, all right, we drafted Marlon Davidson. Let's see if he's going to pan out. It, it's, right. it's a lot of shots at the wall. It's, it's throwing a lot of things at the wall and seeing what sticks, but also calculated shots at the wall, right? Like Caden Ellis, these guys know what he can bring. And they're, they think that this is a stock they're buying low that's about to kind of take off yeah. a little bit. And they've got, a vision certainly for how to use him, but going back to that that Lorenzo Carter Arnold Levicati, like I was doing a, a little bit of an exercise on the last show. Just all right, what are the projected starters, and and what does that even look like? And it's so messy on the defensive side of the ball because variability is like the name of the game. Like they want to, I think, be interchangeable. And I look at Lorenzo Carter and Arnold Levicati almost in the same bucket, and then I would almost look at like Calais Campbell and Ade Ogundeji maybe in like the other bucket where it's like maybe those two guys are paired together and you see the rotation happening that way. Um, where it's like, I don't know. Campbell feels like more of a hand on the ground guy. Doesn't he? He does. But I think we saw a little bit of that from, from Ade as, as a rookie, you know, I I think they went away from that a little bit this past year, but they could go back to that. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Ade last year? Cause I was high on him coming out of, out of his first year. And, Uh, and I, I think he's a guy that I mean I listen I listen I listed all those edge rushers and I didn't list them. Yeah. Right? And I listed Quentin Bell. Like that that's he was such <laughs> he no, did. he was just such a at least in the pass rush portion of things, such a non-factor. Mm-hmm. Um to me, he's he's either gotta get better there or he needs to become even better as a edge setter against the run. Yes. And this is year three for him, so there's not this marriage to that anymore. Right. You know, I mean, all of that said, everything should be taken with a grain of salt here because we don't know exactly what this defense is going to look like under Ryan Nielsen versus what we knew it was under Dean Peace. I get the inclination they're going to be a lot more aggressive. It seems like they're definitely stacking that way with the amount of players they're bringing in with the skill sets of those players. That's what it feels like to me than they were with Dean Peace. Because Dean Bees would always say they were being, you know, I mean. The, he did. Yeah, we're blitzing from everywhere. But, but the numbers would tell you, and they brought this up, you know, in post, you know, in the postseason. The number, I, I went back and looked at it. And again, it was in the story I wrote on, on Clayus Campbell defense. They're, they were like the only team under 40 sacks and under 50 sacks combined the last two years. 39 total sacks yeah. the last two years. That. They're the only team that was under 6% sack percent. Oh, no, sorry. Under 4% sack. Like, it was bad. It was they, really they, bad. They were, they were so bad at, at actually finishing getting to the quarterback that this, ha- this is kind of what I expected them to do. I didn't, 
because you also looked at the name, the edge rusher names in free agency, and none of them you were yeah. like, okay, this makes a ton of sense, right? Like, like a Jesse Bates did, right? Yeah, I was or, about to say there's no Jesse Bates for right, that position, or, right? And I know that there was some criticism about them signing Omenyata to the contract they did when other guys, maybe that are younger and more potentially better, got similar deals or, or less money, mm-hmm. but. You, you have to remember, too, David Omanyata understands what Ryan Nielsen's trying to do, especially on the defensive front. And that is incredibly valuable when you have a guy coming in, installing his defense and a potentially different type of defensive. That's yep. super important. So there, there's some extra value and added value in there. Plus, you know what you're getting both on the field and off the field with a guy that has been with Ryan Nielsen and with Terry Fontenot before. Exactly. And there's extra value in there that I think sometimes gets overlooked. You know, we always talk about something in a lot of professions. It's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. But <laughs> when you're building a thing in the NFL and you're starting, it's why almost every coach, when you see either a new position coach get hired, a new uh, coordinator get hired, certainly a new head coach get hired, you see a couple guys come in who you call quote unquote culture guys, or I mm-hmm. call quote unquote yep. culture guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. or the guys who are going to be in the locker room, who you hope are your locker room, who are, end up being locker room leaders that set that culture. To me, a guy like Calais Campbell, even though he hasn't been in the system before, is that. A guy like David Omignata is that. Perhaps Caden yeah. Ellis, but to me, like your, to your point earlier, that maybe feels like a buy low in, in hopes of being really high at mm-hmm. the end. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure he checks the box, like in the locker right. room. Like, I'm sure he's not going to be a, a, a locker room cancer, but. But for sure, yeah, it, it, Jesse Bates is the exact same way as well, right? Like captain in, in Cincinnati checks every well, also leadership box and versus also his defensive backs coach in Cincinnati exactly. for two years, Steve right. Jackson, who has been on this Falcon staff and is the Falcons' new safety, you know, defense backs coach. So yeah, it was, what, what is is that the official role? Because I know that was in. I Washington think that that is. Bit. It's interesting. Like their roles are are weird. They, yeah. No, on the offensive side of the ball, it's pretty delineated as you would expect. On the right. defensive side of the ball, because they don't have a technical defensive line coach, they have Lanier Gauthier, who is a defensive line specialist. I don't know mm-hmm. the difference. Um, because but, it's Ryan Nielsen is essentially like, man, my, right. my fingerprints are all over this defensive line. Right, exactly. Like, but Lanier has worked with the defensive line the last two years. He mm-hmm. worked the defensive line the last two years at the East-West game, including this past year where he yeah. – that was – so this feels like a promotion for him, even if the title is a little bit – Yeah. You know, different than what we would get – used. We would it's expect. a little assistant to the regional manager instead of assistant regional manager. I mean, no, I, he, I, I would imagine he ends up being their position coach on the day Like, it's, it's an office joke. It's I, know a, what, I know what it okay. is. Okay. I know what it is, Dwight. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Okay. I, I understand where you're going. I understood right. exactly what you were saying. I was right, you're, you're picking up right what by. I was putting down. I just, it's I, the, I was just going to blow right by it because I mean, <laughs> you know, no one should be compared to Dwight Schrute. Just saying. Fair. Fair. Sorry to do that to you. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it hurts on so many levels. I know, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think it's a great point about what they're, trying to accomplish and and really the guys that they're trying to bring in to do that. And I do think if you pay a little bit of a premium for David Onimata because he's has the familiarity and yeah, you're probably getting him right at about like what he would be making over the last little stretch. Like maybe you're paying a little bit for that past production, but I think that he's proven he's very reliable and the high floor is there. 
tackles for a loss, like you said about uh, Clayus Campbell. Like that is something he does really well. And I I remember having a conversation after 49ers game, I think, last year, where it was with Jake Matthews, Chris Lindstrom. I, I bring it up on the pod all the time, but it, it was like so simple. They offensively they were like, yeah, our just core philosophy is like no bad plays, like just any good play, just no bad plays. It could it be that simple for this team writ large that it's like defensively, we just want to make negative plays of any kind. It doesn't have to just be a sack. It could be a one yard loss in the backfield. Just bad plays for the opposing offense and only good plays for our offense. Like seems like a winning formula. Is it just kind of that simple? I think it is, but there's also this. And I, not that they're getting guys for me purposes, right. but you look at who they've added. And opposing defensive coordinators, opposing offensive lines have to account for those players because they have shown in the past in either the run game or the pass game that they can be disruptive forces. Falcons yes. have not had that. So the worst case scenario here is Omanyata and Calais Campbell just don't are, are not what people hope, right? But you want to know what they do for at least half the season? Yeah, they take they, up about half a day of practice. No, not even that. What they do for half the season is this. They force opposing offensive coordinators, opposing offensive line coaches to worry about them. And you want to know who that helps out? Brady Jarrett, who's been triple teamed since I've covered this team. (laughs) Literally, like it is just a giant triple team against him for the last two seasons. Well, now at the very, the worst case scenario is that you have created single and double team matchups for Grady Jarrett on a play-to-play basis. And you are hoping, if you are the Falcons, that that leads to more sacks, more pressures, more quarterback hits, more tackles for loss than you've gotten because you know that he can do it when he doesn't have half of the defensive, half of the offensive line trying to knock him down. Yeah, and and I hear that. I And I agree with it. I think that's also been uh, a lot of the... The, the line for the last like five off seasons where it's been, all right, a lot of these pieces, yeah, they may not be the guy. And I know that the guy was not out there, like we just said, and maybe there's the guy in the draft. And I want to yeah. kind of pivot to this, but the last few off seasons, it's been like, yeah, we're going to add a lot of people who just draw attention, you know, whether that's a Leonard Floyd or a Lorenzo Carter, like just a name value guy, it's going to help Grady Jarrett out. And you know, Grady, Grady can get you seven, eight sacks on a, on a great season, but that's probably where his ceiling is. Even, mm, even if he's getting, I, see, I, I think he can get that. to double digits, but, yeah. but like, it, does that totally fix the Falcons defensive line? Or I think they're still missing that prime one a, which will also help Grady. But then you've got a guy who can produce double digits alongside of him. That's right, just, I think, I think a lot of fans would push back. Sure. That's great. The fans would push back. Congratulations. No, me, the voice of the fan pushing back. No, to my, and my response to that would be my guess is there's some belief that Caden Ellis might be, end up being able to be that guy based off of what you saw a year ago. Mm -hmm. And maybe they believe like Lorenzo Carter can be that guy. If he's not being asked to do all of the things they drafted on the hoping that he would be that guy. So they have a bunch of guys that they're hoping that are young enough that they're hoping can be that guy, can be that outside guy that can then help Grady Jarrett on the inside, along with Calais Campbell and David Omignata and the run defense of Taquan Graham. And mm-hmm. it's possible Taquan Graham can become a pass rusher too. Yeah, he's he's got so that young in his career. You know, yeah, there, he was 
of, of the rookies last year that were in their second year, like of the 2021 rookies that were in their second year, I thought he yeah. was having the best growth. Yeah, the biggest jump. Oh, uh, yeah, of those guys, because you know, Drew Dahlman, you could probably put in that group as well. And Avery Williams, I think you can put in that group for a different reason. Uh Kyle Pitts was not in that group just because the first year was so high and he battled injury. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, yeah, he's a guy that you started to really see and you saw the benefit of Grady, him basically following Grady Jarrett around all the time. Uh, and, and you saw that growth that it's possible to call on Graham can be a player in all of this too, that again, get, we're talking about like six or seven or eight different guys here. And yeah. that's part of what they're trying to do because it's that's the, the sum thing. of the whole. You, kind right. Of you don't need a definitive one. A right. If you have, three guys who you can rotate rotate in who are clear twos because mm-hmm. then you're getting that same constant two production at a fresher level yep. consistently and in the third and fourth quarter that's going to wear people it's kind of like what we've seen in college football i feel like at the running back position where a lot of these top schools just have like four running backs who each get like seven carries a game and yeah. and they're all fine but they just have fresh legs and and we're seeing it you know the best teams in the NFL like to have that too deep. The Eagles famously, you know, love to have those too deep guys and they, the Bills as well. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what they're trying to build. Like that, to, you look at what they're doing in that, that, you know, their front in Buffalo with the depth there and in Philly, yep. that's what they're trying to do. I mean, it's, it's very obvious. San Francisco, another place, Washington, another place. That's really what they're aiming for. That's what they want. Yeah. To be able to, you know, to have happen. They've made great strides on their defense this offseason. They really oh, I, have. I know there's been criticism out there about it, but they've made great strides. And to your point that you said earlier, um I I you know, there, there's like five guys right now that I'm like, sure, that guy's for sure a starter. AJ Terrell. Yep. Greg Jarrett. Uh Troy yes, Anderson. What? Jesse Bates. Jesse Bates. Troy Anderson. And I would say probably Lorenzo Carter. Really? Well, just based off of how much they're paying him and what you're looking at right now. Like if they draft, say they draft, let's for argument's sake, say they draft an edge rusher in the first round and and he ends up being a day one starter. Like say they are able to get Tyree Wilson. Well, okay. So you get Tyree Wilson. He's going to be a starter on one side. Then at that point, that changes it. But right now, when you look at this team, Lorenzo Carter, especially because of what he does in edge setting, to yeah, me ends yeah. up being being a starter. Now, is he on the field at the end of game? That when it's made more important at the end of games, like in basketball, you only almost care yeah. as much who's on the court in the last two minutes as you do the first. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like that's a different question, and that might be very game dependent. I mean, it could also yep. be at linebacker game dependent. One hundred percent. Because we also don't know if they're running a, a fourth. Like they're going to run some sort of hybrid thing that might change by the week. You know, it's uh, the other thing I'm really curious about because you know. So let's say they draft a cornerback in round one. Well, are they going to start that guy right away, or does Casey Hayward still start to begin the season? My guess would be it'd be Casey Hayward to start at least, unless the rookie had a tremendous camp because it takes time for corners to get there. It does, um, but drafted it in the top 10, there's going to be a lot of pressure. I know the team won't listen to that's that. That's nice, but, but when, have, have we, do Arthur, does Arthur Smith seem like something? I know, they're not going to listen to any of it, but that's like, a, that's a high pick 
but I, I agree. I think that they would slowly do that, but they have not been afraid of saying, hey, look, like our first round picks, they're they're being highly productive players from the jump. And they're well, involved. They also so, had a generational talent at tight end and and then a massive need a wide receiver. I, I get a it. Like they're, they're wide receiver a They've got a plan if they want to take it to yeah. bring this corner along slowly. Is your right. Yeah. And that's the thing is you will, and I always stress this to fans. Don't freak out if a guy doesn't start the first half of his first year, or even as a, as a rookie. I mean, well, you were there with Jeff Okuda, right? Like right. that, that would be the main fear. The recent like example of, oh no, well, like, well, Okuda, well, but see the Okuda example is a bad one because Okuda was playing hurt his whole rookie year, ended up having to have groin surgery. Then he ruptured, like eh, Okuda. He's just got, been injured the whole time. He got, oh, got and he got put in a bad situation. Like from the jump, I covered that team. That that was a bad situation from the jump. But uh, you know, you look at a Richie Grant, right? Mm-hmm. Richie Grant, people are like, oh, well, he was he played more snaps than almost anybody in the NFL last year. Yeah. You know, now to me, the bigger question is who who's the odd person out in that safe in that as a starting safety there? Is it Richie Grant or is it Jalen Hawkins? entering the final year of this deal or do they run three safeties and people are making a big deal about the Mike Hughes thing at nickel well okay maybe that's a rotational nickel along with a third safety uh you know because Jesse Bates is a guy who it seems like can move a whole bunch of places and I believe Jalen Hawkins I, I know he played receiver at one point I think he flipped to corner and then he flipped to safety so I think he's got now I don't know if it, if that skill set translates to an NFL level and I believe it was right. outside corner but I think at one point in his college career he did play corner right. so that, just throwing that out there yeah I mean but I'm just saying that's that's one thing to pay attention to because maybe they would move Jesse Bates into a nickel situation mm-hmm. in, in certain we just don't Certainly know in, how, on certain plays yeah like they'd like yeah. to have the option to right and that's what they're trying to do I mean yeah. they're trying to get enough players where they can have flexibility and not a drop off in depth if there are in the inevitable injuries that come in the NFL and you're still, you're still, I think in they had that a little bit at certain positions last year. You're seeing it where I think they have it at every position defensively now to mm-hmm. some yeah. a little bit better than others. Uh, corner, probably still a pretty, pretty large hole. But the thing is too, you can always go grab a veteran corner after the draft. If you need yeah. to, if you don't like what you see, or you can grab, you know, a veteran edge rusher after the draft, if you don't like, how that plays out that second think, market yeah yeah and I, I think we'll see that at receiver too um mm-hmm. you know I, I could even see it at running back but i, I think the offense is definitely in play to get bits and pieces here and there because you know given arthur smith like that's his forte you could see them feeling like hey not many teams thought cordero patterson could do this or a lot of teams tried with him and we found out the way like that belief that all right this guy can do this thing, almost like the Patriots back in the day with that offense. With they could just make random dudes pop for like 130 yards out of the yeah. backfield because they just knew exactly what they were looking for. I get the sense that they could do that a little bit on offense. I, 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 would, wanna, I mean, I would imagine they're going to add a running. They they kind of almost have to. They, yeah, they because do. we don't know when Caleb Huntley is going to be like. If Caleb Huntley doesn't get hurt, it's a completely different conversation, and that room is probably pretty close pretty to set. set. At least for like this year. Next year, yeah, you're probably. Oh, next year's. Maybe, I mean, Cordero Patterson's contract is up. Right. Yep. I, I, but like for the purposes of this year, yeah, you're, you're good because Caleb right. Huntley's. Yeah. Solid. Right. For the Because Caleb Huntley is perfect as a compliment uh, to Tyler Algier. 
But and they love Caleb Huntley. If if you can't if you don't pick up on the fact that they love Caleb Huntley, you have not been paying attention at all with, with how effusive their praises of him. Um, like he he is he is exactly the type of guy they want in, yeah. in terms of character, in terms of you know a football character, and in terms of how he plays and his mindset and his work ethic. You know, him and Tyler Algier fit very well in that. In that they mold. do, even though they're very different, very different dudes, <laughs> they, they fit very well in that mold. So it, it's interesting to see kind of what that does. I, one thing that's really stuck out to me is almost every, like when I've talked to my colleagues around the league, almost every player they've brought in, I've been told, "Oh, listen, that guy's really easy, really good to deal with." Uh, on the whole, almost everyone. And I mean, I said this, I think on my podcast last year. I've been in locker rooms that are rough. Like it's uncomfortable. It's, it's awkward. Like the Falcons locker room last year was the opposite of that. Save one or two guys. It it was just an E it was a very easy go. And maybe it's because it's not a big beat. I don't know, but it's a very easygoing chill environment. Guys Mm -hmm. are mostly willing to talk. Um, Most of the thing I was going to, is the accountability go back and forth again. And it feels like every player they've brought in, with the exception of like one or two, but it's not that they're like, they just are quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I've been told that, no, you're like, they, they're great. I mean, Calais Campbell is, is chief among that. Um, yeah. and so to me, that's, that is valuable too, because what you're seeing is you're seeing them bring in players that um, get it, not only get it from a media standpoint, but yeah. if you're good with the media, yeah, then it's other be, areas. You, yeah, you're you're potentially good in other areas as well. Now, listen, mm-hmm. guys can be fake with that all the time. Like I've covered a few in my career, but on the whole, generally, that's you know, it, Arthur Smith doesn't strike me as somebody who's going to put up with the nonsense uh, no. on uh, in his locker room or on the field. Like it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Or behind a podium. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I remember there, there were definitely um, guys where, you know, you could go up to a Brooks Reed after he had a bad game and he'd answer your questions and he'd be great and, and really awesome. You could go up to Ricardo Allen. He'd be great right. as well. But I, I would say that for a little bit of my time there, there was that kind of front runner mentality in the locker room where when things were going great, man, the energy yeah. was awesome. Everybody was dancing. It was so much fun. And then kind of crickets when things went bad. Everybody was didn't want to be talked to, didn't want to be seen, didn't want and that's a little bit of a red flag and I think can become a personality trait of of a team and, and sure. things like that. Just guys need to when it gets uncomfortable, all right, then what do you do? And in the locker room, things can get uncomfortable. Like people yeah. don't like to be asked about, hey, why'd you lose? You know, like what did you do wrong here? Nobody, nobody likes to be asked that, but having guys that will stand up and still be accountable and still talk to you and understand it's a business and that they're professionals. Like that's what this team is doing. And it feels like a real overhaul. Like instead of just cosmetic paint on this, on this bigger rebuild on this transition, they could have slapped some, you know, they didn't have the money necessarily to do that, but they could have found ways to go get a couple of big household names in year one or year two. They didn't. It feels like a systemic, Top to bottom, that, even though it would take a minute, like you said, the bills, that type of trade where we're like, we're doing this right. And in year three, maybe the year, year four, maybe the year. But when it hits, it's going to be good. Right. Hopefully that, from then on. That's what yeah. they've tried to do. 
That, that's what they've tried to do without question. And it's why, you know, they might, you might know, not know some of the names that they've, but you might by the end of the year. I mean, yeah. you're a great example of what you're, what you're talking about. Drake London's their first round pick, right? Drake London had a lot of critical fumbles last year. He had, but he openly <laughs> yeah. admitted it. But you want to, you want to know who's in the locker room after every game. He didn't want, necessarily talk long. He didn't want to talk, but he knew he had to. Mm-hmm. Drake London. That's not, that's telling from a rookie. And he yep. needed him. He, he was there. You know, again, it's a smaller beat, so that helps. But that is very valuable. It's noticeable who talks and who doesn't after losses. And it, because that, like Rashawn Evans, I mean, he was our media good guy last year. He was so good. Yeah. But it was because you know what? You needed something from him. Yeah, he, he 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 understood. He got he got it. And listen, I'd love to see them bring him back from a selfish personal. <laughs> Like media standpoint, he's a great guy. Yeah, it would be great to have him back because he was very good at explaining things and distilling things, and he was always willing to talk. That was Ricardo for me, and and that that, that's huge. So you know, if he comes back, you know, I I got criticized on Twitter because I listed him as out and not not with the team, and I was like, well, no, listen, he just hasn't signed within the first two weeks, so he's not on the team. Like. Mm -hmm. This is you know, like he's a full fledged free agent, baby. Yeah, I, I mean, I know, I think. Oh, what, Terry Fondo or Arthur Smith, I think one of them, I saw reports, I was not at the owner's meetings, but I saw reports that they said they'd like him, him back. But here's the thing, too. I don't know what that role is for him until we know what this defense would be. And he's probably waiting to see some of that also because mm-hmm. you're not going to supplant Troy Anderson at this point. So if, if, you know, if you're Rashawn Evans, I, I think you played well enough to not come in and be... Uh, you know, the third linebacker, Uh, you know, and and if they play more four, three, you might, you know, then maybe you're the third string linebacker, depending how they really feel about Michael walk. Right. You know, which to me is a, it's a a muddy situation. Yeah. So there are a lot of, of like, and to be fair, if Dean Pease was still the defensive coordinator, your, my guess is Isaiah Oliver and Rashawn Evans would have been signed before. That's just my my gut. Just because of the different things that they value. Right, because how he ran his defense and what was important to him. Not because they're suddenly better players or worse players. It's just, here's what I need. This player, I trust to do that really well, you know? Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what this looks like. You know, some people are like, oh, why didn't they bring Elijah Wilkinson? Well, Elijah Wilkinson was never going to come back because he was going, and I I haven't seen his contract. So maybe he, maybe... He ended up signing a really uh, friendly contract, and maybe the, maybe the Falcons could have gotten done. Yeah. But I mean, they just paid Chris Lindstrom all of the money, <laughs> more than any guard in history. Yep. They paid Caleb McGarry a, a reasonable amount of money. That was actually, I thought, a very mm-hmm. good contract. For, I thought it was a solid deal. Yeah, for the market that they have. Yep. And for what? And again, you know, you're you're acknowledging you're taking a little bit of a chance, but you're acknowledging what he did and what you believe he can do when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. And you have a plethora of guys already at like at that quote unquote left guard position. Like Matt Hennessy to me probably slates in as the starter yeah. today. You need um, an answer on some of these guys one way or the other. Right. I, I mean, Jalen Mayfield's another guy that yep. is he playing there? Is he playing tackle? We don't know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, and you talk about guys getting forced. We we're talking about rookies earlier and corners. You talk about guys getting forced into positions early and what it could do. Jalen Mayfield's example one, he was forced into a bad position early on. 
And I mean, I don't know how the team feels about him exactly, but I mean, the fan base pretty much anytime I would type his name into the bird app, like, yeah, it, turn it, on him. It's yeah. It's just like, yo, like, I'm a little not, surprised that the kid was team, hurt last year. Like he was, he was, which is a bit like, that may just be the answer. And if that's the answer, then we right, not every all. draft pick works out. Well, exactly. But I'm a little surprised given that he took all those lumps that first year, like that, that the team, but I get the injury was the factor there. It's just that you would think the team would maybe stick by that a little bit. Cause that seemed to be the messaging early on when it was all right, Jalen, you know, we still expect big things from him. He was put in a tough spot, all of that towards the end of his rookie year. And then they moved on. You know, and, well, and I, mean, I know that, he was that hurt. Happens, that happens in the league. It does. It happens it does. every team. Every team, every player. Every player every, <laughs> on every team, for the most part, gets moved on from some at, at some point. Yeah. Whether it's a trade, whether it's a cut. Very rarely. I mean, even the best ever have gotten moved on from. Whether oh, that's I mean, Matt Ryan, whether that's Peyton Manning. Yep. You know, very rare is the guy like Ben Roethlisberger who can play his entire career with one team and that's it. I mean, you know, if Tom I mean, Brady is gonna is gonna retire not as a New England Patriot. Anybody can move, right? Exactly. Like, like, uh, that's yeah. I mean, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and freaking Joe Namath and every, Pat, like Patrick everybody. Peterson. Look at Patrick Peterson, Joe Montana, not Joe Namath, but right, Patrick Peterson. Well, Joe, yeah, Joe, I mean, well, no, <laughs> Joe, Joe Namath. Joe too. He had one messed up year with the Rams where he couldn't run. Before my time, yeah, um, for my time too, bud. I know history books. I should read more. Um, I, I think that there is some value though to go back to, to the Elijah Wilkinson point in becoming this. If you're if your recruiting pitch almost to free agents is like we're the the one year rehabilitation center, come here. We're going to give you these opportunities. We're going to put you in a position to succeed, and then we've got a track record of these guys either getting a big payday somewhere else or us showing a, an ability to invest in you as part of our future. If you're going to make some pitches, like having these one-year flexible contracts for these mid-level guys looking to kind of show right. they can do it somewhere else, like that makes sense to me. I and think that, that's a I, good approach. I think that that's what you'll see after free agency, mm-hmm. like after this free agency period. Because the last two years they had to do that because of necessity. Right, because they had they had as about as much money as I have in my wallet right now, and I, mean, I think they you know, wanted to hit this year with as much money to play with, uh, right? Which they did, which they did, and you saw what they did. They spent almost three hundred million dollars in the first twenty four exactly. hours of free agency, yeah. you know, over life of contracts. <laughs> you know, now that's not guaranteed money; that's life of contract money. But still, right? That's I mean, number. it was that first day of free agency. It was cool. I just finished right up. All right, got to write about. Like, I mean, that's just what it was. Yeah. Um. And that's fine, you know, and they've improved their team. They have. They've improved the depth of their team. They've improved the high-end caliber players on their team. And now they go into the draft with top 10 pick and with, what, nine, eight eight picks, nine picks? That that gives them other opportunities. And they also, I mean, listen – not people, I think, forget about the Johnny Smith trade in some way, in some ways because it happened I, I love that right man. at the beginning of a massive day. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of became a forgotten player in New England. But you look at what he did, what Arthur Smith did with him in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And if he's able to approximate that, you have maybe the most, you could potentially have the most productive tight end duo in the league. Yeah, you they could. Michael I'm not saying you will, into a saying, reliable dude. Like, right, imagine and, what John, yeah. 
Yeah, and Janu also becomes the maybe the number three receiving option. Maybe the number four. I think four he's the number option. one checkdown option on a lot of plays. That dude is really, really good. Yeah, getting the ball in short area and making something happen. I think that's a huge role for him. Is that blanket safety option for Desmond Ritter? Entirely that, and I'm very curious to see what they do with Cordero this year. I think they're going to use Cordero yeah. more in the way that. They had probably hoped, and we had seen at the start of year one, before it became yep, obvious yep. that Mike Davis could not handle that handle 24 carries a game workload. 24, he couldn't handle five. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, like Mike Davis right, was right. not, he was not the lead back. And, that, and they had hoped that he was going to be, and then Patterson was going to be this chess, you know, this kind of movable player that you can move, have a bunch of places. And then last year, he ran so well that <laughs> they they could. I mean, you you could, almost couldn't move away from it. Then he got hurt, and you mm-hmm. started to see a little bit of it when he came back. How they wanted to use him, but at that point they were going through a quarterback switch. They yeah. were limited with what Mariota was able to really do. I I, I feel like we're going to see the true idea of what they wanted to do with Cordero Patterson this. year. Provided most people stay healthy because you know you have a running back you can count on in Tyler Algier. You know you have a number one receiver. You know you have a number one tight end. So you have your offense, your core offensive players. And by the way, by the way, they are all on rookie. Yeah, it's, and, it's huge. And two of the three, two of the four are on our first round guys. So you have the fifth years that you can have baked yep. in. Yeah. Like that, like when so when people talk about the Lamar Jackson conversation, this is the only part of this is the only thing I want like want to get into with this because it's just if you've been listening to me since since it's, December it's and January, will you have me on the show and we've talked about it? I have been steadfast in saying it was not going to happen. Right? Is it possible that it does because all of a sudden the market changes for him and he changes his, what he's asking for and what the Ravens would want in compensation? Like because maybe they signed the. T- is it somehow possible in some universe? Yes. I'm just saying right now, it just does not make any sense for the Atlanta Falcons to do it. I get that it does from a pure on the field standpoint. Yep. But this isn't a pure on the field game in terms of, because if it was, it's not all the best players would go to the same team and have a super team. Like yeah. it's just not like the, the realities of the money come into play here. Right. And right now, if you're the Falcons, you've spent two years getting out of salary cap hell. You've spent a lot of money investing in a defense that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, that you mm-hmm. had to do, because even if you brought in Lamar Jackson, you still had no defense. And that's not a great scenario. Yeah. So yeah. and you have all these other players on rookie contracts that at some that you're going to have to pay at some point and probably pay at some point towards the end of Lamar Jackson's contract when who knows what he's going to want again. Versus yeah, you're going to have all together. of these things coming together yeah. at the same time. Right. But now you can meticulously kind of plan out and meet around and say, okay, like here's here's what we're setting aside for these guys that we know we're going to invest. It just makes exactly. things much easier. And it's like what we were talking about with kind of papering over some of these flaws for a quicker turnaround or systemically changing it top to bottom because the Bills are not just Josh Allen. The Eagles are not just Jalen Hurts. Like, the Chiefs right. are not just Patrick Mahomes for as good as all of those players are and they get or Travis Kelsey or throw in any big name player. 
their rosters from top to bottom are championship caliber rosters. And that is what it takes. It takes somebody who is, you know, the 33rd man on your roster to do his role better than like 30 other dudes in the league who have the same exact role. Like that's what you kind of are looking for, I think. And that takes a little more time and going for the shiny toy like Lamar Jackson could set you back in that specific way. And it seems like that is what the Falcons are more interested in, in doing it right, in doing it methodically than just kind of, all right, here's our lottery ticket home run swing. Let's see if it works out because that would be awesome. I want to end here quickly though, Mike, because in all of this and how it impacts the draft, I do think, I think it's perfectly plausible and probably the, the most likely scenario that they stay put at eight, that one of these two corners are there and they say, Hey, Awesome. Let's shore up our secondary. Let's continue to get better on that side of the ball. Or if a Tyree Wilson is there, somebody like that. But I just can't get it out of my head that given how, and they said this, you know, it's a quantity and a quality approach for free agency, but they addressed a lot of these needs. If if you want to call them some of them needs, but they improve their depth, they improve their starting caliber talent. They now have a lot of wiggle room, I think, with what they want to do at this number eight pick. And Terry Fondo has made no qualms about, hey, we're just going to take the best player available that we feel if they're going to be a Hall of Famer, like then we want that guy on our team, regardless of position, regardless of who else is there. So two scenarios that I think are unlikely, but I just, again, I can't stop thinking about it. A trade up for Will Anderson because they are missing that 1A alpha off the edge. It makes sense from that perspective. Or if they stand pat at eight, a player that a lot of people think, hey, if you take position out of it, is one of the best players in this draft is Bijan Robinson. Yep. And does that get you set up young in the backfield with a potentially Derrick Henry type of talent, not a type of player, but type of talent? Like, what do you think about those two scenarios? I would say the second one's more plausible than the first, uh, based off of conversations I've had. Uh, okay. I, I just don't see them trading up in in this draft uh, because you're going to have three, if not four quarterbacks go. So right. the talent's going to get pushed down. If yep. it was last year that, and they were in the situation they are in now, I think it's a different conversation. I think you could have seen them maybe try to move up to get, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think they would have gone up to one or two. Yeah, but, not Nathan Hutchinson or, or somebody right. like that. But maybe, but maybe they would have traded up to get like a sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, the sauce was taken at what, five? My memory Yeah, served? five, five. Yeah, I think five. Yeah. So maybe, maybe they, maybe they make that move, right? Mm-hmm. If they truly believe that in him there. But this year with the, with what it is, I, I just don't see that happening. If anything, I see a more plausible situation of one of the quarterbacks has left at eight because the Raiders decide to go elsewhere mm-hmm. or, a team, one of the teams that's ahead of them makes a move on Lamar. Uh, and because of that, they're all of a sudden sitting in a really, really good spot to trade back a few spots and mm-hmm. still get a high-quality player. Because Peter Skaronsky is a guy that can make a lot of sense because he can play inside. Yep. And then that would potentially solve your guard issue. And then all of a sudden, in two years, when both Matthews and and uh, McGarry are theoretically very cuttable if if one or both if you know if Jake gets gets old quick or, or Caleb yeah you've got a out, guy going into his you, third year who you could you slide can, outside right who theoretically has the skill set to play outside mm-hmm. uh, 
And, and a worst case, if he ends up being your starting left guard and he ends up starting for left, that, that's the thing is people always talk about positional value, positional awareness. Like I've seen that in some criticisms of the Falcons. Uh, what does it matter if the player ends up making five Pro Bowls? Like right. you don't yeah. care. Like you, oh no, you, yeah. Well, but if he's a Pro Bowl caliber player, like that's it's hard enough to find a legitimate team. starter for all right. 32 teams in the league. Can we just start getting a legitimate, like, yeah, I mean, like that's, that, that's, that, I've always seen that. And I'm like, you know, so yeah. to that, that, that leads into the B. John Robinson conversation, which is I can see it a scenario where B. John Robinson would make a lot of sense for them. But mm-hmm. in that scenario, I think you probably are looking at at least two quarterbacks sitting there. And that also screams a trade down situation, maybe even better. Unless people are doing what they did last year. Because remember last year at this time. Yeah, everybody was. Malik Willis was being talked about as a top 10 pick. Like people were like, how can the Falcons pass on Malik Willis? Well, easily. Um, (laughs) Three times, four, four times. I mean, these guys are are all, but, I think, better than last year. But but you're, I get your point. Yeah. But but right. But no. But what I'm saying is, just because, like like the value to me is there's always the overvalue of quarterbacks, and that happens in mock drafts and happens in the NFL. Yep. If there's a scenario where there's multiple quarterbacks on the board, that means more guys have been taken of of other yes. positions that. Theoretically, would interest the Falcons, and that. Yep. But at that point, you, you hope if you're the Falcons, you can maybe trade back and get a little bit more draft capital, either in this year's draft or potentially even more mm-hmm. importantly in next year's draft, and potentially you- more because somebody wants one of those quarterbacks. Like if, right, if exactly. there's three that, quarterbacks left or two, yeah, it's like yeah. which of and the that two gives you that like. wiggle room, right? And here's that other piece: if you're able to do that with next year's draft. That gives you that wiggle room in case Desmond Ritter doesn't work out. And then all of a sudden yep, you're in you a get that ammo. have to win next year scenario. Uh, you can trade up to go and get somebody that you maybe believe in at quarterback at that point, because next year could be a really good, could be a really good quarterback. Class. Yeah. Uh, so to me, there's so many machinations of it, but yes, to your, to your initial question, I can absolutely see a scenario where they take B. John Robinson. Um, I do wonder if they took Bijan Robinson, what that would mean for Cordero Patterson, frankly. Um, I think you could for one year have him in the same maybe. role. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Long term. Long term, you probably that. I mean, but long term. I think it's a one and done kind of like regardless of probably. a lot of outcomes. Yeah. Uh, unless unless you have a very specific way and then he's willing to come back on a reasonable contract again. Yeah. I mean, I, that's probably the truth, but we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. a lot, yeah, a yeah, lot never say happen. never. Yeah, a lot can happen between now and then. I'm just saying, like taking a B. John Robinson, because then all of a sudden that those carries between Robinson and Algier, that's going to take up a lot of your space. So then maybe that gives you the ultimate ability to move for Daryl Patterson around and run some two back stuff that we haven't really seen yet. Like, I, I if there's an offense I do you could figure it out, it would, I think, oh, be yeah. this one. Well, that's the thing is people are like, oh, they're going to be a heavy run team, sure. They might yeah. be, but remember two years ago, they were a heavy pass team because of their personnel. Yeah, this team now, is a chameleon. Arthur Smith has shown he can do whatever he wants to Yep. in that. And, and so that's why I'm, I'm hesitant and reticent to say this fits absolutely into the system because Arthur Smith has shown that he's able to adapt the system to what he has. Now he's getting more of what he wants. And I think there'll always be a heavy tight end presence in an Arthur Smith offense. But run pass, I, I don't. I, I think it's going to be very 
much dictated by how much they believe Desmond Ritter can handle and who's healthy and, you know, what maybe what they're getting from their number two receiver. That's really their number four pass catching option or five pass catch, catching option or at best number three. Like it, yeah. it's going to completely depend on certain things that I'm, I'm very curious to see what it looks like because it, to me, it's not an obvious situation right now. It's definitely not. But uh, Mike, thank you for giving us more of what we want and uh, coming on to talk about a lot of different Falcons topics. I always enjoy picking your brain about this because you're as smart as anybody when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons, uh, because it is literally your day job. So thank <laughs> you for, uh, for taking the time to stop on and, uh, and chat with me, man. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'll be back hopefully soon. Of course. All right. Well, today's show was presented by Bet Online. Please check out our YouTube page, like, subscribe, let everybody know. Um, until next time, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.